you're listening to the Fearless Business Podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients, and make more money without fears and limitations, all while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants, and freelancers double their income and more. Now here's your host, Robin Waite. Welcome back, everybody. It is the next episode of the Fearless Business Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Waite, the Fearless Business Coach. I've got a brilliant guest in today talking all about scaling your business and potentially exiting it. It's Gavin Preston, who is a business investor and business growth mentor, a specialist in driving growth organically and via acquisition. Welcome to the show, Gavin. Brilliant to be here, Robin. Thank you so much. I've been a fan of your work uh, for some time, so it's a real privilege to be here on your show. Well, absolutely. I know we've both followed each other mutually, I think, for quite some time as well. So, no, it's a pleasure to have you on the show too. Um, And this this is something which I think um, we're going to be talking about today, which I I think is kind of the the back of the mind of a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners, because most people are kind of either going through that startup phase where it's all very exciting and very new, or they're in that middle stage where everything's kind of starting to get a little bit boring, but, you know, they'll have moderate sort of success with it. What we're talking about about today though is where for me I believe it gets really exciting again where you get into you know scaling and potentially exiting a business so um talk to me about some of the like one of the things which you talk about is um sort of um how to offer contingency fees based on the percentage of that growth so when a business is scaling quite a lot what do you mean by contingency fees Okay, so um, the context around this is if I'm going in as a a strategic advisor, a growth mentor, so um, my area, there's kind of two aspects of the work that I do. I I typically work with businesses between 500,000 and 5 million in terms of turnover, and I help them to scale and grow. Normally, I'm going at a point where there's some plateau being exhibited in their turnover uh, for more than one year, two, three years, achieving results about the same. They know that they want to go much further in terms of growth, possibly because, often because, they've got an objective of selling three to five years. So uh, the conversation early doors is, you know, I'm I'm turning over one and a half million. I'm turning over two million. I want to exit for four or five million in five years' time. Can you help me get there? And so my work not only is around the strategy to help them get there, but also help them to navigate the challenges around implementation, engagement of the staff, dealing with the problems around extra cash that's going to require systems. You're going to push more through the system of that business if you're taking it from 2 million to 5 million, both hard systems and soft systems being the people. So in answer to your question about contingency th- uh, fees, the conversation could be, so how much is it going to cost? You know, what's, what does it cost, Gavin, to work with you on a monthly basis in order to be able to achieve that over the next two to three years or a weekly basis? Uh, and sometimes they can go, wow, I didn't expect that to be, even though I do want the five million result and the, to, 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 to exit. So I said, well, I'll tell you what we can do is we can have a lower kind of like basic fee. And there's a, a piece of software that I use around my strategic planning that enables us to identify up to 40 different areas of the business and um, a strategic intervention against each of those 40 areas. 
many of which you and I would be very familiar with. But what this tool does is enable you to quantify, to be able to demonstrate the incremental impact of one, two, three, or even 5% on each of those different areas, depending on the nature of those areas. And so what the tool also enables you to do is say, well, instead of my fee being, you know, Y, how about it be X plus, say, 2% of the increase in revenue? That's the contingent component. Or 2% of the increase in gross profit, for example. So um, then that's down to, you know, a conversation with the business owner. Now, uh, some business owners say, I think, fantastic, I can reduce my risk, I can uh, lower the upfront uh, sort of commitment, and then I'm happy to share that upside potential. That's actually a win-win on both sides. Others see, <laughs> have the thought, the thinking process, wow, if this guy can actually do what he says he's going to do, that's going to cost me a lot more. And so actually sometimes it does uh, secure a higher upfront consistent fee. So, um, but I like to offer both um, and because it, in its so doing, if they don't tend to go for the contingent component, which I actually would prefer them to do, uh, both because, you know, let's put our money where our mouth is. Um, if they don't go for the contingent component, often it removes the price objection conversation because they've compared to it to a higher potential overall result that they would have had to pay if we achieve the results together. Yeah. So just just to sort of recap that, you know, if you're taking on a business from two million up to five million, say, and and the uplift there is three million. I've always done a calculation, which is roughly you have to invest ten percent of the upside in order to grow a business. A very rough ballpark, you know, across yep. all the different sort of business types. So you know, you could potentially be in there for sort of three hundred grand, not necessarily with a coach. It could be all sorts of different aspects of the business: marketing, sales, accounts. You know, you name it, team. Sure. Um, but obviously, it's it's about making people aware of like what it takes to actually grow a business financially. There's also the, the, another area which you must um, work with quite a lot is around the psychology, psychological side of it because to get the stuff that got them to 2 million is not going to get them to 5 million. So how do you handle that conversation? It's so, so true. And often, in fact, where you've got a business that's plateauing and it's an owner-founder, you know, owner-run business, um, when they, their plateau to me is indicative if, if they've reached the limit of their know-how and their thinking to be able to move that business beyond. So I'm working uh, concurrently on the mindset and the thinking with the owner about the art of the possible. Yes, we can lay out the strategy, but they've got to have the belief that, that can be uh, achieved. So there's an equal components around business strategy as is about their thought process and mental conditioning in order to be able to get there. But then the the dynamics of the people in the business are the kind of the most fascinating. I have a live case study at the moment of a business I'm working with where the members of the team are happy with the status quo. And we've gone around a little interesting cycle, which is fascinating for me to reflect on, which is, right, we need more leads in order for us to grow. So we get the more leads. Ah, great. Um, too many leads. We can't cope with that. We need, we need more salespeople. Okay, we've got more salespeople. Great, more leads, more salespeople. Oh, no, the wrong kind of leads. Oh, the salespeople aren't good enough yet. Let's turn down the leads. Let's get rid of the new salespeople. Oh, and probably five, six months down the path, we're back to where we were started. And I think there's so much of that journey of change. You've got to be able to, in equal parts, 
paint the picture of where you're going and the benefits for all concerned, but also reassure them that they're going to do more, not less, that they're going to be a part of a team that's still in a place that's still as fun to work in. And that actually you're going to be excited to be at the forefront of this journey and and, and so long served in this organization. So um, that journey of engaging the people, it is all about the people and that journey of engaging the people is, uh, is the most important. Yeah, absolutely. And and I suppose it's the, I, the, the one thing I was thinking as well of like, you know, scaling is, yes, either more clients or or more people to deliver because we need more capacity. And I was thinking as you're telling that story, yeah, get more leads, get more salespeople, but then how do you handle the extra capacity if, you know, because then there's training and and, 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 it, and it carries on. Um, and, and there must be sort of, um, well, I, I'm get, there are challenges with that. One of the questions which sprung to my mind, though, was around actually the product side of things. So how different does the product need to be for a two million pound business to a five million pound business or does it need to be different at all it depends if you're if you're talking about um market penetration so you've got an existing proven part of product in an existing market and you either want to get a greater market share or take it to a new geography or 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 a a neighboring sort of uh, target market if your product is proven, the product doesn't need to be different. You might want to make sure that the one thing that you are focusing on is the customer experience, and that that doesn't that improves rather than um, reduces in, in any way over the course of scaling. So, um, so much focus is on customer experience. I think it's very important that we get that customer service and customer experience right as we scale. And it's very easy to um in the in the taste to get more out the door um to cut corners and the customer experience reduces and i, um, I suppose again any of those elements like either either with the, the team or you know uh the customer experience side of things they probably feed on each other as well so if the customer starts having a poor experience you know that negativity probably feeds back into the business and again you're back into that vicious cycle if you're not careful yeah and the interesting thing for the people concerned is that if you're wanting to drive growth and you're going to put kpis in place in order that you know key performance indicators in place that the team can work off as targets that's great but you've got to be careful that you're measuring the right stuff are you measuring just purely quantity or you're measuring quality because sometimes your targets can drive the wrong behavior oh, i've got to get through 40 leads today and they could burn leads as opposed to spending more time on certain conversations that actually could be nurtured into a much bigger customer where the lifetime value of the customer is significantly bigger over time so there's complexity to think about, but I think one of the things that I constantly try to do is, is draw back from the dynamic of the conversation there and say, what's the bigger picture? What's the dynamic? What's what's the pattern of behaviours that's going on right here? And are we moving in the right direction? We've got one foot on the accelerator, but have we got another foot on the brake somewhere? Or are we in the wrong? I'm mixing my metaphors, but you know, do we need? How do we need to bring more people on board? So we're heading, pull, pulling together in the right direction. You mentioned something there around customer lifetime value. Explain what you mean by that. So, yeah, customer lifetime value is the amount of money or profitability profit you will earn from one customer over the lifetime that they are a customer of yours. So if you've got somebody that comes back, buys often, buys increasingly greater amounts and is also an advocate of yours who will rave about you to uh, other people, other potential customers, they're a very valuable customer. Um, If you just do a one-hit wonder, make one sale, you might be delighted with your margin on that one sale, but they don't come back and buy again because maybe they weren't happy with the service or the experience – 
and continue that, they may actually not talk highly about you, then that's an erosion of long-term customer value. Absolutely, which obviously ultimately kind of, you know, erodes trust as well and faith in the business and things like that. People want to do business with people that they know I like, can trust. We, we we all know that. We we kind of get that conceptually. But trust is a really interesting thing around business. And it's interesting that how many businesses don't look at their previous customers where trust has already been established or reactivating former customers, again, where trust had already been established, going out and looking for the new. And I often say, well, you know, those leads you had, those people that maybe that you talked to six months ago, or those businesses that you, um, those customers that you worked with two years ago, when do you, how often do you re-engage? Because you've, presuming you did a good job at the time, you've already established that trust. So what, what can you do to offer them and add value to them now? And, and presumably as well, like customer lifetime value, that there is an opportunity that if you can build, you know, rather than just having one product, having sort of multiple products that you could potentially offer to that one client is also beneficial because this is, you know, we're leading into the exit conversation now. If, um, if somebody who is potentially going to buy your business can see that there are opportunities to sell other products into that customer base, presumably the multiples start to go a little bit crazy. Well, yeah, and actual fact, you talk about the extra product. For me, the, the the next kind of upsell within the work that I do is actually helping people, uh, helping business owners acquire businesses so they can achieve their growth aspirations through acquisition as, right, as well as organic growth. So I will I help them target, identify, do the deal and make the acquisition, but then crucially integrate. I've actually just before I jumped on and record this with you, Robin, I recorded uh, an episode for, for my own podcast with a mergers and acquisitions expert, an M&A expert. And we spent a lot of time talking about the importance of integrating the two businesses together, your existing one and the one you bought. And then taking that enlarged group on the journey to exit to increase the valuation that you're going to get, the amount of money that you're going to get and structure the deal in such a way. So there are things that you can do to increase the multiples that you will get. Good systems in place, you know, documentation systems, strong management structures with competent people that can run that business in your absence as the as the owner founder. Um, reliable lead generation sources, predictable lead generation sources, recurring revenue components to your business model, um, blue sky up, up potential in terms of a market, uh, relevant technology, and the list goes on. So there are a number of things that we can put in place to an investor that will de-risk or reduce the risk, not totally de-risk, but reduce the risk of the acquisition for the investor, the acquirer, and also increase their excitement about the upside potential. Yeah. So that's a really interesting thing as well about acquiring for growth, because most people are kind of like, we look at acquiring clients like one by one by one. Whereas actually, if you go and find a business, which is complementary to what you're doing, that you could buy their entire customer base, um, you know, all of a sudden it's like you find, it's like one having buying one client, but all of the buying power that you get with so it. So you could double your business in one transaction yeah. um, with, with one acquisition. Um, and often if you have complementary, not exactly uh, um, exact replicas of the product offering, but complementary, you can cross-sell and upsell between those two customer bases, which could be a great opportunity. So one acquisition that I've been looking at recently, there were two very complementary businesses, both operating in the same sector, but one had a very niched, very focused product range, and one had a much wider product range. The 
in different geographical areas. There was a massive amount of potential for cross-sell, upsell across the two sets of customer bases um, with, with both of those businesses. So the potential synergies of that, of merging those um, businesses together were, were significant. So, and there's two things which are, are um, coming to my mind as well now here around like the motivation behind some of these big decisions that, you, you know, you typically have to go through with your clients. So one is that they're all into the business and so they want to acquire in order to grow the business. But the second one is where they're starting to lean out of the business and maybe want, you know, they literally want out. So h- how do you start to sort of, um, uh, do your clients typically tend to come with you already in, with something in mind about which direction they want to take? Or if you taken a client on who maybe said they want to exit and then they rediscover their passion for it and actually want to acquire and grow? I think the actually the hardest thing, it, it can be both, but the hardest thing is actually once they've made the decision to exit because they want to say retire in, in, in three to five years, it's keeping them engaged enough in the business over that journey. Because as soon as an individual checks out, then they um, the business is going to go back downhill. Um, as soon as the business owners get comfortable and uh, have it becomes more lifestyle, they've got a second tier of management, they do a brilliant job of running their business because they can take increasing amounts of time off. Great. But if you want to maximize the valuation of your business on exit, you've got to be so wary of that because your business, I believe, you know, business is like nature, nothing stays still. It's either growing or it's de- decaying. So you, you've got to be very careful that your business doesn't go into decline. And then an extension of that theme is there's a known often phenomenon about once an individual assigned a deal and got a deal on the sale of their business, there's a period post-deal signing that there's often an earn out aspect to the deal and if that individual thinks I've I've made x million um, I'm going to spend this much time on a world cruise or on the golf course or whatever it may be their head is not in the game of their business that they've sold they've already checked out they could very easily and often happens see that the second portion second portion of their total valuation of the deal dwindles diminishes because actually the business that they've sold is withering on the vine goodness that's that's quite powerful and i i suppose there was an element as well of like you know do, do people actually check out of their businesses before they even exit you know where they're yes. just kind of they've been it for for a certain amount of time and it starts to get a bit boring yeah absolutely right robin because they can get to the point of going i've had enough of this and you know the last two years has been a great example of people just saying i, I i'd like to check out maybe i now should sell it and there's there's a lot of things you need to do in order to prepare your business for sale it's something that's really really sort of basic on elementary most owner finds founders will structure their remuneration to optimize their own personal tax position. Brilliant. That makes total sense. But in so doing, could reduce the amount of profitability on the business. And if, you know, the most common business valuation principle is, say, the EBITDA, the earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization, and you times it by a multiple that's relevant to that industry. And if it's a business that, say, um, sub- 5 million that multiple is usually somewhere between two times and four times EBITDA well if you if your job your game has been to optimize your personal tax position that's not been about maximizing EBITDA um or yes there's some stuff around adjusted EBITDA which you could get into a, a different time so often the conversation is if, if you're serious about selling your business and maximize your valuation you need three years of really good accounts with a with a with an optimized profitability and EBITDA so you might actually have to have some different 
experience lifestyle decisions over the next three years for a bigger goal further down the line and that's that's uh, um often not easy for the the business owner that's got a comfortable lifestyle to to digest it's a it requires a i guess a different level of sophistication as a business owner uh compared to you know an owner managed it and maximizing for lifestyle yeah, I suppose, you know, sim- again, simple calculation. If you were working on a full times multiple and you've taken 10K out of a, as a dividend, you know, in one of the years, well, actually that's cost you 40K, not 10, hasn't it? Yeah, I, you know, we've had, we've had it depending on, you know, I, I won't mention sectors, but one particular sector that we've been looking at from acquisition, there's been, uh, let's just say, a, a reasonable amount of trade that's been done with cash. And, um the individuals said, well, um, yes, I understand my profitability is quite low, but I take X amount of cash out of the business every week. I said, it's not my position to judge you on it, but you've already taken the value out of the business in the cash. One, one lady said, yes, but I can point towards a £70,000 extension. This is how much my yeah. business is worth. Okay, yeah, but you've had the value out of your business. You built a seventy grand extension. Great, yeah. I'm glad you did that. However, when it comes to putting a value on your business, I can only put a value based on the published accounts, you know, other figures yeah. that you've got, unless you can convince me otherwise that you that, and they say, well, that's not a fair reflection of our business. So depending on the nature of the person and the size of the business, again, they, you might have to be gently sort of educating them about this is how it actually works. And this is how, uh, how businesses are valued and deals are transacted. My, my accountant thinks I'm a bit of a, a maverick or an anomaly. I don't know which one it is, but um, uh, we have the same conversation every year because I optimize my business for profitability. I only ever take out what I need. Whereas all of his other clients, nine out of 10 clients want to take everything out. I'm there saying, no, 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 I'm happy paying tax. I don't, the more tax I pe- have to pay, you know, or the, sorry, the less tax I have to pay almost the better because it means the profitability is stuck in the business. And that's good. You know, yeah, yeah, it, look, yeah. it looks better on, on, on the assets column rather than on the liabilities column. So I'm, I'm happy with that. Um, yeah, he thinks I'm a bit weird. But um, <laughs> yeah. but there is, you mentioned, you alluded there to about the mindset side of things as well, um, n- not least on how you manage your money, but also in that process of when you're starting to check out of a business. So how does, how does coaching help to improve that mindset? Oh, it's essential. But for a start, you can lay out the route map of A, the process and how long it's going to take and what's involved, but also B, the, the kind of a, a emotional roller coaster you're going to go on and the thought processes. So if you can next, A, explain ahead of time, this is what's going to happen. These are some of the feelings you're going to, uh, emotions you're going to experience, but B, at the time um, when things might not be going quite according to plan. Um, you say it's all part of the process. So inevitably, uh, through my experience, when we kind of like make the decision to grow a business and to scale it, say organically, and we push for that growth, there'll be a period of time of growth and things will be going very well. And then there's always a period where it feels as if the wheels are falling off the wagon. Oh my goodness, this isn't working. Let's just stop everything and go back. And it's the learning and the changes and the improvements to systems and processes that we do in those moments to correct the things that make it feel like the wheels are falling off that mean you merge at, you emerge the other side in a much better place. In other words, it's part of the process. You have to go through that pain in my experience of having done this many times. And to, to, to reassure the business owner at that moment, I know it feels really uncomfortable now. And I know you're looking at me as if to say, what on earth are you doing? But actually, this is part of the process. And if we do X, Y, and Z and get that right, we're going to have the best month ever out the other side. 
And I'm sure you probably look at it and go, oh, here we go again, not another one. But, um, you know, it, it, it has to be said that, you know, bigger business doesn't necessarily mean that things are going to get any easier. It's just that you're going to have different problems and potentially bigger problems because the numbers are bigger. Yes, exactly. And um, it's just the, the area for improvement, really, or the stretch is to grow your thinking to be able to address and solve those problems, but without, you know, getting consumed by anxiety that some do. Yeah. How did you get into business in the first place? So um, my dad, uh, he was a self-employed you know, salesman and had his own business. So I grew up with conversations around the dinner table of small businesses and growing. And then, uh, so I got, I was fascinated with that. And uh, also he got me into kind of the world of uh, self-development and books like Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill and um, the, pre, the book I read before that, the first one at the age of 15 was think, uh, was The Success System That Never Fails by W. Clement Stone, who was a great buddy of Napoleon Hill. So the, I, I kind of got into that whole area of, uh, of growth, which uh, got me into the mindset and understanding how people in business think differently to get the very different results. I then studied and trained and qualified as a chartered accountant with KPMG. And that, that just gave me a really good uh, commercial appreciation of the world of business. I had the privilege whilst working with them of going into hundreds of different businesses over the, over the time I was training and working with them. And then I continued that in my 26, 27 year career now, now into thousands of different businesses. And I love people. I love understanding how business works. And I, I, see patterns as you would expect and very quickly are able to assimilate the levers that need to be pulled in order to you know improve efficiency grow revenue um you know improve both the top and bottom line uh, line of a business i you know it's interesting because i always find numbers people to be some of the best business coaches out there because like look at the end of the day the one goal in business is to make profit isn't it so you you can do that with a sense of we we're talking about this on on the other you know when i you interviewed me for your podcast yeah, but yeah. You can do it with a sense of um, passion, mission, vision, values, and all that good stuff, ethical, moral values. You've got to do it the right way. But at the end of the day, the goal is to make money. And numbers people, systems analysts, business analysts, accountants seem to be the best people at obviously figuring that out because it's all about the numbers. See, I've got an interesting journey. So after having, you know, my passion was the people and I got into to coaching and NLP and spent a good portion of my career, pure executive coaching and doing facilitation and training and leadership stuff it was almost like a, a, a pendulum reaction to no that accountancy thing wasn't really who I am and actually as I've kind of uh, got a, a few years older and uh, you know even less hair I've just realized that integration is everything so the people side is massively important but now more than ever I resort to that original accountancy training and about the focus on the numbers and everything that I do around strategy around people around um, systems and in marketing, et cetera, I, I'm constantly checking in. Is it helping that business grow its profitability? Well, first of all, improve its cash flow. Secondly, improve its profitability. And thirdly, improve its balance sheet value. And so I find myself sounding more and more like an accountant every <laughs> every day, which is um, ho hopefully an entrepreneurial accountant. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've uh, you know, th Survive and Thrive is a fantastic book, and you obviously talk through some of the concepts there. But it's like uh, there was one thing I'm not going to going to get this probably quoted that completely wrong, but what I remembered from it was outputs in. Uh, sorry, inputs in process and outputs, and yes. measuring that all the way through. 
yeah, that, yeah, that massive, massively important. And so many businesses don't measure, or they're measuring the wrong inputs. And that bit in the middle, that black box, that processing bit, is where the magic can happen. But you've got to make sure that you're still paying attention to and measuring the outputs. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, like when so you worked for KPMG, and then there was obviously a point where you had to. Uh, step out and do your own thing. What what was that journey? What what, what did so that? I, I went. I got headhunted from uh, KPMG, and I worked for BAE Systems, so a big defence and manufacturer. Initially in a finance role, but I'd had this started to uh, get exposed to NLP, neuro linguistic programming, and there was an opportunity to go on a secondment to secure a place on a secondment to head office in Farnborough BAE Systems to be a part of their in house their corporate university. And so I went through a whole assessment centre and um, I, I was secure, lucky out of a long list of candidates, I, I got the role, which was fantastic. So my role shifted and for two and a half years, I was working on leadership development programmes. I was facilitating um, business unit divisional um, senior management teams. And these were multi-million pound business units in their own right for a performance improvement. I had a a colleague who was more senior advanced to me. So I learned a huge amount from him whilst at the same time being supported to complete my business practitioner of NLP, my master practitioner, my licensed trainer, both my normal practitioner and master practitioner. So I developed the skills around coaching. So there came a time when, um, yeah, there was a voluntary redundancy opportunity. So I took that and, uh, I managed to secure a corporate client um, as uh, they were looking for another coach to their little cadre of coaches for their high potential program. So for these were future execs and they, um, they gave them a coach. We had six of them each as coaches had six coaches. And we did this brilliant hybrid model where we would coach them together in a group coaching or action learning set format, but also coach them individually. And um, out of those six people, five of them got a promotion in the following year after the results of that work. And the sixth had only just got the promotion when we started to work together. So we were working on making sure that they performed well in that bigger role. So that was my kickstart was that corporate contract uh, with, yeah, with, a, with a, a firm that had uh, many London, but also elsewhere around the UK. And then from the back of that, I got a number of other coaching opportunities. Um, it's the same, that executive, pure executive coaching space to start off with. I'm going to ask a slightly tricky question now. So, because like your journey sat, and don't please don't take this the wrong way. It's, it feels very safe up to this point. Was there ever a point in your journey where you had to kind of, things got a bit tricky, sticky for you and you had to be fearless? Uh, yes. Well, actually, when I first went out on my own, um, so I took my, I got this like relatively small uh, voluntary redundancy package and I hadn't got any clients on that stage. So there was a period of time where is this going to work? The money was dwindling and it was almost, I had to be fearless and I had to have the courage to know that I was on the right path, you know, checking to how I just felt so right about what I was doing. And yes, I managed to secure the contract I just referred to, you know, in the nick of time. And that hasn't been the only instance, you know, on, on the journey since 2002, you know, so, you know, 19 years has been a number of moments when absolutely I've had to look in the mirror, take a deep breath and go, you, yeah, you can do that. So it's not been a, it's not always felt safe. And uh, certainly if you ask those around with, although it's not always been a, an upward trajectory. 
<laughs> well, I, I appreciate you sharing that as well. Cause I, I you know, sometimes as, as coaches, as business leaders, you have to kind of put on a, a bit of not bravado. It's the wrong words, but you kind of have to keep up appearances. And I think sometimes the reason I ask the question is because I, I like, I like the listeners and the people watching this to see the other side of entrepreneurs where actually, you know, it's the same for all of us. We all have that up and downiness of a journey that we go through. And I think as a, as a coach, as well, a business leader, you have to have had those moments where the shit's hit the fan and, you know, you've been up against it. So one of the ones I left, I paused in 2017, my 2016, end of 2016, start of 2017, my coaching business. And I went and worked for a client and helped them and worked on part of the board and helped scale the business from um, 11 and a half million to 19 million in 18 months. And that was fantastic. I was put into practice for real myself, everything within this part of this team, everything that I'd been coaching and training on for some time. And then our largest customer went bust and took us out for 1.9 million. And we that was unsurvivable. So that was probably... No, definitely the toughest time in business that I've ever had going through that process of recognizing that there was no way out other than administration and what that would do to my 80 odd colleagues in the business. And um, that resulted as all effectively losing our jobs just before Christmas 29, no, 2018. So it was, that was a really tough time. And, and um, I, I took that really hard I felt I, I, it had a really big impact on me until actually one person you know another coach another experienced business person said um, do you know that sometimes investors ask some investors ask how many times have you cycled I said what do you mean by cycled how many times have you been a part of the journey of a business that's gone through the rise and the demise because actually in the demise, there's a huge amount of lessons, hard won, hard fought lessons, but will make sure that you're less likely to make those mistakes again. So actually the the battle scars that you've got from that demise is going to make you more investable in the future, but also a better business person. And that, you know, in coaching, you know, vernacular, that's a phenomenal reframe. And that reframe was really, really helpful for me in making um, taking a positive meaning out of what, to be honest, was a very traumatic experience. Yeah, and I, th I think as well there's a there's an assumption that for some reason, you know, when when you let when a business goes under, that we should obviously we want to care about our employees, but the reality is like the, the, even the job market, there's nothing safe in that in that space. Like people shouldn't go into jobs thinking that they're set for life, right? Uh, you know, because because businesses do go out of business, or you know they have to make redundancies, or, or, or you know. You you move house. You, you have to get a new job. I don't know. There's any any number of different things here as well. And I, I remember, um, you know, the one time I've had to make my team uh, redundant when I shut my agency down, and they couldn't have been more supportive. They 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 actually said to me, "We're surprised you didn't do this sooner." because mm -hmm. we know that you're more than the agency, you've got more to offer. And we knew that we weren't sort of going to be able to come on that journey with you. Um, so they were incredibly supportive. And I bet those 80 people were equally incredibly supportive. They could understand what was going on. And there were other jobs out there, which hopefully they could go out, probably for yeah. many people. I had one guy on my team who ended up, um, you know, go, moving from our small sort of agency, going to head up the the, co the whole development team, coding team for a big international insurance firm in Cheltenham. And it was just, I was brilliant. I just couldn't be more proud, you know? So you, I think that, I think you probably did a lot of people, you know, a lot of people actually probably came out of that better, um, you know, or stronger in personality, if nothing else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
So what, what are you working on at the moment? What's next for you? Yeah, so two components of the work that I do. On the one hand, I'm helping other businesses to scale and grow organically and through acquisition, as I said earlier. And then I'm doing that with a, with, with a couple of colleagues. So we've got a particular sector that we could broadly, it's a niche within healthcare, but it's a niche within healthcare. And we're actively sourcing and engaging with businesses around acquisitions there. And we have a sort of buy and build strategy with the um, um, with an aim of an exit by 2025. And so as well as sourcing those deals, building relationship with high net worth individuals as investors, so, you know, recently I found myself pitching to high net worth individuals and um, my experience, both the KPMG gives me credibility, but what I've done within helping other people scale their businesses and grow and the fact that I understand the people component and the inter- what's required to create integ- successful integrations and maximize value um, has, has been very helpful for me in terms of building rapport and trust and, and, and credibility with potential investors. So yes, we're 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 now assembling a great team of investor stroke who will also be non-exec directors for this buy and build strategy. Nice, sounds very exciting. Uh, and, and you've got the book as well, Survive and Thrive. So um, how can people find? Where can people find that? And how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, great. So Survive and Thrive: How to Secure, Scale, and Succeed in Business. Um, you can go to surviveandthrive.cc. Or you can grab it a copy of it on or Amazon or indeed on Audible. Uh, a lot of people are enjoying the Audible uh, format. And if you want to check out more about me, you can either check out the uh, Business Mastermind podcast. We're about to, at the end of this month, uh, end of September, early October, we'll have launched out a new season uh, for the Business Mastermind podcast. Um, or check out gavinpreston.com. Nice. Excellent. So uh, we move on to the final two questions of the interview. So the first one is we're going to jump into the fearless business DeLorean. Uh, we're going to go back to a year in your past where you have to have a word with Gavin. So what year is it and what would you say to him? I actually think it's, um, gosh, what, well, it, it's, I'm 21. So <laughs> I can't think of the, the year. So I've, uh, I've just graduated. And so I, I think, the, the biggest uh, uh, advice of three parts would be, would be like trust in the process and follow your gut and get the right training and mentoring. And the time there is, um, it, it's very, it's almost, you would expect someone who is in the, in the business of mentoring and coaching to say, get a mentor, but I can directly correlate my success in business and in life uh, to the amount of time I've been invested in training and mentoring. Uh, and when I have thought that it's okay to not invest in that, there's been a plateauing in the results that I've achieved. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm in no way biased being a business coach at all, but I 100% agree with that. <laughs> everybody, everybody should have some kind of a, a, a coach or a mentor in their life. If you're not, if you're not doing it already, I mean, I'm hopeful that people who are watching this and listening to this, they're already on that journey because they're tuning into podcasts and things. But read as many books as you can, download as many audio audio books as you can, especially Survive and Thrive by Gavin as well, because it's a fantastic book. Um, but yeah, coach and mentor. I I'm a bit of a whore now when it comes to coaches because I I collect them and I'm on loads of masterminds and I just just you know you've got to be hungry for this stuff in order to keep on growing. So yeah, I'm, I normally come up with something a little bit kind of you know uh, give you a bit of nice sort of warm fuzzy feedback Gavin when when I asked that question but I that one is like no just get a coach <laughs> get a coach yeah absolutely <laughs>
than a coach. If you had one one short message just to kind of wrap up the the podcast with uh, with a message for the listeners, what what would that be? I I, I love your branding as you as, as I was saying to you before, and I think. It, that be fearless to me is that the times when you doubt how far you can go or how capable you can go, um, that's the time when you need to be courageous. You need to step back, you know, from the inner voice that might say to you, you can't do this. Are you good enough? And all, all that BS to go, well, there's many others that are less experienced or less capable than me that have achieved those results. Come on, you can do that. And, you know, the, the analogy that when you put you drive at night, your headlights only show you the next 200 yards in front of you, but you can still get to your destination. It's like, take that first step, get moving. You, you will attract the right people around the way to help you achieve it. And often the journey is significantly more rewarding and less scary than you've concocted in your brain. Um, that stops you doing things. Yeah, 100%. Uh, brilliant. That's that's such a powerful message to finish up with. Gavin, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thanks again. We'll have to get you on again, I think, at some point in the future as well. I'd love to, Robin. Again, a real, a real privilege. Thank you very much, mate.